So instead of our normal football discussion to open the show, I, I think we should uh, go to a topic that has really crossed our social media before. And uh, we have somebody uh, available to explain what they meant by it with me on Saturday. So, Will, let's talk about this frogging thing, okay? <laughs> I knew this was coming. Uh, yeah, why don't you explain to folks, Pete is not watching, I swear, okay? <laughs> so, frogging, how, how does this work exactly? Yeah, so my family, uh, my stepfather's a rice and crawfish farmer down in Abbeville, Louisiana, and in the rice fields, late at night, the bullfrogs come out everywhere. So, we have these things, they're called John Deere gators, like ATVs, where me and my buddies would get on them, and you get a big a high beam spotlight, and when you put it on the frog, it freezes. So when the frog freezes, you like creep around the light and you jump head first into the pond for the frog. Yep. And then we clean them and, and fry them and eat the legs. Okay, so have any of the union guys come down to frog with you? They have not come down to frog, but uh, a couple have come duck hunting. Okay, uh, that's a whole nother story <laughs> for another day. So if JV and I came down to you know visit you in Louisiana, yeah. would you take us frogging? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. If, if, if you're not scared. I mean, they got water moccasins, they got water snakes all over, but... I'll hold JB's hand. I'm sure he'll be okay. I got this. So, uh, JB, you know, um, I, I, like I said, I, I'm willing to hold your hand and, you know, we, we can go frogging together down Louisiana. It sounds like a fun trip if I ever heard one. Duck hunting and frogging. Maybe we can get a two-for-one uh, with Will. What do you think? Well, I mean, uh, my wife Jen's dad is from Louisiana. We've got a lot of family in Baton Rouge and Prairieville and other places like that. And, and honestly, Frank, you know, the creepy crawlers is not just a, it's not a big deal for the Baker family. We're, we're used to all sorts of scaly lizards hanging around. You know, it's uh, just something that we that we just get to do uh, down here in Florida. Wait, wait, so wait, wait, what's this photo right now on the screen? Wait, what, what is this? Uh, this is uh, me with my two kids at Gatorland from about eh, six years ago, based on how they're looking. They're definitely a lot uh, older now, but uh, yeah, holding holding gators. Fee's got the snake around her neck like no big deal. Yeah, and, uh, I'm, that's how we, I'm that's thinking, how we hold on here. Time out, time out. You look like you're mortified yet doing this because <laughs> she's making you do it. I, so I'm not buying this. In fact... I think she is the one of the family that leads the way because I have this photo actually, and she's just like yeah. riding the damn gator like it's nothing. So uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking, JB, that, that you're now. yeah, you're overselling this idea that you're just fine with all this stuff. It's no problem. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I'm not afraid of any water moccasins and the rest of uh, what Will was talking about there. So let's go down to Louisiana. He can show us what he means. Great meeting him. We got a lot more with him coming up during the show itself. And obviously, yep. Union College is just one of many schools we're going to talk about here in week five of In the Huddle. That was a lot of fun with Will, uh, and we appreciate uh, him playing along uh, with us and uh, discussing it because we did have that. It was legitimately a back and forth that we had uh, during the off season. Uh, I think yeah. on Twitter it was about the frogging and whatnot. So thanks to him for that. Um, let's 
talk football. We got a lot to cover here. We got all these games, all these video clips again. And for those wondering, let me just add one thing. We had talked in the preseason about doing a um, you know countdown show of clips of uh, the best video in the region, and what we've decided to do instead is just add on to the video that we're actually doing in this episode each week because instead of trying to rank them, you know what, we're finding the best stuff as it is. And if you see something during the weekend, on Saturday especially, send us a tweet with a link to the video or, you know, kind of point out at least where it is and we will try to go find it and add it to this. Uh, The schools are generally pretty good, but I'm going to give one caveat to this. My rant of the week, I guess, we'll make it quick. To the schools that don't put up the archives for everybody to see publicly after the games are done. The general philosophy is they don't want the extra camera angle out there beyond what the huddle material is. Let me be clear, folks, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, that cruddy angle is not going to help the other team one iota. Okay, That cruddy angle, however, is what the grandmothers and mothers of the world all live on and rely on and want to see when they get home afterward. My 82-year-old mother almost, uh, she'll be 82 in a few weeks, she wants me to send her links of all my stuff, and it's it's the most minutiae stuff out there. She still wants the link to the picture, to the video, or whatever, because it's her son, and she wants to, you know, enjoy the fact of what we do here, etc. So, folks, please stop the stupidity of hiding game day video there is no need to do it and it just robs all of us at the end of the day now schools have been great to give us clips when they're not available generally i get it but it's not just about us it's about the families about the players it's division three folks let's play everything like we have a division three philosophy don't act like mount union across the board where it's basically championship or bust and we got to hide everything and whatnot uh you know even umhv i think keeps their archives alive to be honest with you uh down there but the, some of the schools that do this, I just, I scratch my head on it. It's like, why would you cover this stuff? I don't get it. Cover it, meaning cover it up so you can't see it. Any thoughts yeah, on uh, week I mean, five? Yeah, why don't we, uh, why don't we go through, Frank, and review the games of the weekend uh, ending, what was it, October 6th, week five? Okay. and. Lunchtime? <laughs> that, that sounds like a great idea. Did, did I rant too early? Is that what you're trying to tell me here? <laughs> no, I, I would probably add on to it and we just keep digging ourselves. Hey, we love you, That's... D3. We love you, East Region. Yep. Let's go to crunch time for week five. Okay, we do have plenty of video clips here uh, to start. We're going to start in the new Mac here. I got my pen out. I, this is an unusual pointing device for me, but I've got to like go through all this stuff as we go through here at JV. So here we go. Uh, starting the new Mac, we're going to start with Springfield. And we're going to start with a blocked uh, punt. Uh, the camera kind of goes with the, where the ball should have been, but eventually we do see the touchdown scored in this play. This gave Springfield a 7-3 lead early against Norwich. But eventually, Norwich took a 10-point lead in this game. It took two late touchdowns by Springfield, including its one-yard touchdown win, uh, touchdown run to win, excuse me, uh, with six minutes left to make it 21-17. to uh, Again, though, Springfield outrushing Norwich 404-4 in yardage uh, on the ground. That's incredible. And 
Uh, not unexpected necessarily the 404, but the four. Great defensive effort by Springfield that day. Uh, Definitely something they needed to do. Uh, they needed to get back in the new Mac race after their uh, uh, week four loss. Hey, they're back on track. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Uh, here's one. We thought Catholic had this one. Catholic was going to kick the game-winning field goal in the first overtime session, except this happens. Snap is high! Oh! Salvi, gonna throw it! Oh, oh my God! God! Are you kidding me? And then touchdown scored on the next possession by Coast Guard to end the game. They, they ended the second overtime with the touchdown to win going in 20-14. to 14. Uh, The Cardinals had tied the game in the fourth quarter and then missed that uh, field goal. So they had this big comeback and then they just, they, it was the second miss of the day on the snap. Oh, special teams, special teams, what's going on? But Coast, uh, Coast Guard moves to 1-1 one one in the new Mac and that's important for them. Catholic. You'll win a game this season. I'm pretty confident in that. It's just when and how. Don't let this one get you down. Merchant Marine, double overtime again, 35-29. Let's look at the uh, two uh, possessions in overtime. First, the uh, one-yard touchdown run by Merchant Marine to give them the lead, 35-29. And then the defensive stop uh, in overtime. Uh, I believe it was fourth down from around the 14-yard line, give or take. Uh, and they did stop it. Uh, they moved uh, Merchant Marine to 2-0 in the new Mac with that. Ian Blankenship for uh, Merchant Marine. One pass, touchdown. Five lead changes in the game. And uh, the game-winning touchdown was scored by Matt Strong as uh, we were talking about that one-yard run. And then finally, WPI 51, Maine Maritime 20. Uh, WPI at 5-0 right now. That's just kind of going under the radar. And, you know, people are upset about certain orderings in the top 25 poll. They should be most mad about the fact that WPI is getting less points than RPI, the team they beat. At 5-0, they are in that situation. So think about that before you go complaining about the top 25 poll and how things are shaking out. ECFC, <laughs> here, here we go again. Uh, Apprentice 35, Anna Maria 20. Uh, Apprentice outgained Anna Maria 444 to 194. Uh, Emmanuel Leak, uh, about 50% on efficiency, but uh, 172 in yardage and three touchdowns. CCC, we're just going to roll on here. Uh, Endicott. We're going to have a Joe Koloski interview coming up uh, this, later this week. And he deserves it because he went 31 for 39, over 280 yards, and uh, you know just been playing a strong game the last two games, coming back from injury. He talks about that in our interview coming up later in the week, so join us for that. 30-24. Uh, you know, Di Carano uh, with a 47-yard field goal you've seen already here, and then Koloski with the go-ahead. Uh, makes it 30-24. Then we go Western New England word. Uh, they beat Nichols 30-19. And we have uh, coming up here the 73-yard touchdown return on Nichols' missed field goal attempt. That's a game changer right there because basically an 11-point game, when you flip the field and the score like that, you have flipped a lot in an 11-point game. Uh, Michael Pina, though, for Nichols was 35 for 51. 300 yards, two touchdowns <laughs> in that game. Uh, before we keep going on this, I mean, look, we have Western New England at 2-0. We have Endicott at 2-0. Is that where the showdown's going to be now? I mean, we basically had elimination games last weekend. Do you, is that going to be the championship game de facto? 
Yeah, I think so. I think it's been kind of heading that way. It was it was kind of that way last season, although now Salve sort of tripped up Endicott at the very end. But uh, Endicott got some revenge back uh, back last Saturday, and a lot of that was behind the arm of Joe Klosky. Great game, 380 yards. Wow. Curry, 34. University of New England, 31. They combined for nearly 1,000 yards of offense. And the uh, Curry interception and sack in the final two possessions is what sealed the deal there, 34-31. Becker, uh, two straight losses for them as Husson gets their first win of the season, 28-12. Garrett Prasard uh, with 31 rushes for 159 yards and two touchdowns. That's the kind of offense we expect from Husson. Uh, week in and week out right there with that key in on the, the run. That will open up their pass game and they will have more success if they can do that more often. Uh, let's go now to the MASCAC. Framingham State. Oh my goodness, folks. Uh, first, let's look at the touchdown they made at 39-33 to uh, for Framingham State. They had trailed by two possessions in this game at one point. And then let's look at the final possession for Mass Dartmouth. They had a 4th and 12. There was time, plenty of time still on the clock for them to drive down the field. They have gained the first down, but except they push back the wide receiver, and then he continues to go backward on his own. In doing so, Ford Progress is not awarded to the front point, and he loses the first down. They never get the ball back, and Framingham State moves to 2-0 in the MASCAC. You saw this play out, and you were just as amazed as I was when I saw it on tape. Holy cow. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard about it from Matt Noonan, who was calling the game, I think, on the uh, on the PA announcer or the, the, the video feed. And it's, it's pretty incredible. You'd think a, an upperclassman would know, um, you know, kind of the, the timing. Maybe it was just trying to do a little too much. But yeah, that that uh, that backward, um, the backward run with the game on the line, just uh, just a tough one. That's going to be hard to watch in the film room. But, you know, Corsair is still still in the hunt and uh, they'll learn from this experience. But you know, like we said, uh, the Rams still control their destiny and uh, moving forward. Bridgewater State moves to 2-1 in the MASCAC, winning 41-17 over Westfield State. They scored 34 and answered points to win that game. Mass Maritime, wow. It's it's incredible to me right now. They are 4-0, 2-0 in the uh, conference. Bucks. 28-13 over the Lancers. Uh, the Bucks trailed 13-7 going to the fourth quarter, but they score 15 uh, points. Or you check that, 21 points in that uh, fourth quarter to win that game, so they scored three times. Plymouth State 42, Pittsburgh State 0. Plymouth State 2-1 in the MASCAC, but they really have a lot of control of their destiny still when you look at who they've got left to play. So nothing is over in the MASCAC as far as I'm concerned, because Framingham State still is struggling a little bit. Uh, but again, we said going into predictions last week, it's... They are going to play you-know-what to the wall because they got nothing to lose at <laughs> yes. this point. And they kind of did at the end of that game in the fourth quarter, especially against Mass Dartmouth. Yeah. Let's go next to the Liberty League. I was there. It was Union beating Hobart 23-7. to The number 21 team in the country just failed to really spark in this game. And we're going to look at the EK, or excuse me, the IK Erebor touchdown, the second touchdown, 19 yards. It just what a great run by him in that situation. Also want to look at the punt save coming up here. This is a game changer. If they had landed on the punt, uh, that would have just done them in, I think, at certain point in this game. And, you know, just an expert job done by the punter 
to prevent that from happening. Union wins 23 to seven, a lot more in that game coming up, so we'll talk about it then. Ithaca scores 35 points in the second quarter. The number 11 team in the country beats St. Lawrence 59 to 20. Joe Gerinario with 19 for 27 days, 304 yards, four touchdowns. And the Ithaca defense, four interceptions, including a pick six by sophomore Michael Rumis. And RPI 38, Rochester zero. George Marinopoulos was a 242-yard day, four touchdowns, and three interceptions by the RPI defense. Hobart RPI, I believe, is coming up next. Is that what I was uh, looking at earlier? We'll talk about that game a little yep. bit later on, for sure. In the Empire 8, Rockport in the Courage Bowl wins against St. John Fisher 17-0. They outgained St. John Fisher 248-135. And Freddie June with 98 passing yards and 54 rushing yards, including the 34-yard touchdown run that closed scoring out for Brockport that you're seeing right here. JB, they're not ranked yet. Do you think they should be? Well, I mean, there's a lot of teams that could or should be. Um, you know, Brockport's on a bit of a roll and uh, certainly control their destiny in the in the Empire 8. We'll see. Alfred, 28, Morrisville State, 21. Let's look at the final scoring by Alfred, and it is from Aaron Griffin, his second touchdown of the day from 18 yards out. Excuse me. Yeah, from 18 yards out, excuse me, it was a great run by him. I, I, for some reason, I was thinking it was 8 yards. It was 18 yards indeed. He had 35 rushes for 178 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, wait a minute, 35 rushes. Uh, Nas Smith, where is he? Well, it looks like Aaron Griffin's taken over for him now. Uh, yeah. Three sacks by the Alfred defense, six tackles for loss, interception, and they hold Morrisville 23 rush yards. So the defense had a lot to do with this game, but you got to give Griffin that possession type of work uh, award. Yeah. Just kept them with the ball when they needed to keep it, 28-21. Cortland State, 44. Utica, 12. Brett Segala, 16 for 25, 278. Four passing and one rushing touchdown. So five touchdowns by Segala when you uh, add it all up at the end of the day. In the MAC, we have more highlights. First, FDU Florham, 50. Albright 45. We're going to take a look at both Albright's touchdown and then FDU Forum's touchdown with less than a minute left. Uh, the uh, video is not great, we admit on this, but we did want to show it to you, the fact that this did happen. And the penalty shown is for defensive pass interference. Now that's a little controversial because it looked like the receiver may have pushed off by FDU Florum in this play, but it was uh, ruled the other way. So it is what it is, 50-45. Uh, you know, yeah, Albright just can't catch a break, it seems like, at this point. And FDU Florham, find a ways to win with a record in terms of offensive yards in the game, if I read that correctly as well. Yeah. Misericordia beats Kings 22-16. The final touchdown was with 44 seconds left. Brady Williams, we talked about this with Coach Navarro. Yeah, Brady Williams Man. finds Sam Gillison for this touchdown. And it was a 16-14 lead, leads to 22-16. to Brady Williams is just a magician when it comes to close games. Let's just admit to it right now. And uh, that yeah. moves, uh, you know, Misericordia to 2-0 in the MAC. Here we go again, Misericordia starting to make a voice known in make the MAC move. race. But Del Val is doing very well themselves. 41-7 over Lycoming. They outgained 436-121. to Montana is on a little bit of a roll right now with 225 passing yards and two touchdowns. Stevenson, 36, Widener, 10. As Titus Johnson had 27 rushes for 165 yards and two touchdowns and three interceptions by the Stevenson defense. 
Alvernia loses to Wilkes 45-12. More importantly, Wilkes moves to 4-0 and 2-0 in the MAC. Jose Tabora, 239 passing yards and three touchdowns. It was the best start for the Colonels since 2006, 13 years ago. And Jack. William Patterson, you let us down, guys, to a certain degree here. TCNJ comes back to win this game 17-14 with a QB keeper uh, that basically made it that score. Uh, 10-0 in the second half, outscoring by TCNJ. So it was 14-7 at halftime. William Patterson leading. Too many turnovers by both teams, so seven turnovers in that game. Wesley, they basically had a strip of the ball at the one-yard line. Rowan just jumps into the end zone, scores it. It was 21-14, Wesley. You see the play. It's 21-20, Wesley. Just need to kick the extra. Oh, my goodness. The tie of the game is Jake Hurler. Snap is good, hold is good, kick is away, and the kick off to the left. It's no good. It's off the left upright. It doinked. And doink. Let's uh, uh, let's just tell ourselves right now that Wesley, for every game they lost close last year, they're winning close this year. It seems like. Yeah, they really are. 21-20 final, and uh, the process uh, trailed 21-7 starting the fourth quarter, so it was a heck of a comeback try by Rowan, and the defense had a lot to do with that, but they can't seem to catch a break at 0-4 right now. Salisbury, 27, Montclair State, 24. It seemed like Montclair had this game, but it was a 16-13 game at the end of the third quarter, and 14 points scored by Salisbury made them the winners, ultimately, as Jack Lanham, had two rushing and one passing touchdowns, so three touchdowns for him. Kane, 30. Christopher Newport, 6. As Jesse Assere had 23 rushes for 159 yards and a touchdown. And they outgained CNU by about 225 yards. Finally, NESCAC, not much video to go here, but this is one of those conferences that just hides their stuff. And so here we go. Double overtime win for Amherst, 30, or for um, Middlebury, excuse me, against Amherst, 34 31. Yeah. Will Jernigan. Uh, for Middlebury, 306 passing yards, three touchdowns, but nine turnovers in the game. That's as much sloppiness as it is defensive skill when you go that high, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But I think so. look, Middlebury's 4-0, and right now they're on a roll. And I believe uh, they and Wesleyan are the only undefeated teams left in That's the right. NSCAC. As Wesleyan uh, beats Bowden 20-13, to Glenn Smith with a 31-yard game-winning touchdown run in that game. Williams 17, Colby 0 as Williams moves to 3-1, Tufts 33, Bates 28, closer than you would think in that game as Tufts uh, hangs on at 2-2 two and two now. And Trinity 31, Hamilton 24, again a little closer than you would have expected. The Trinity uh, moves now uh, to I believe it's 2-2, two and two. Uh, I'm seeing something else on my sheet here, but I think it's 2-2 two and two as uh, Hamilton uh, does the same. Four lead changes, tie game with 14 minutes remaining. And then Trinity outrushed Hamilton 174 to 46. JB, that is crunch time for week five. Okay. Uh, whoa, whoa. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot of video. 33, uh, 33 games, lots of video. About a third of the third of those games had some video. So great job uh, tracking that down, Frank. I mean, I know I, I pull some stuff from Twitter here and there. But I know you're digging around in, in the archives, getting a lot of that stuff out of there. So great stuff. 
but that that is where uh, the open uh, discussion there that I had uh, was about. It, it is a little tough sometimes to find a video. We want to get some of the best video out there for the big endings of games or the big performances, and we can't get it because it's just not available sometimes. But enough on that topic at this point. Let's talk about your uh, plays of the week and players of the week. Um, the stat champs on offense, Alfred's uh, Aaron Griffin. Uh, we highlighted him during crunch time. 35 rushes, 178 yards, two touchdowns in that game. Um, you know, he had uh, 229 yards rushing and three touchdowns in week four. So, I mean, this is a legit running back right now. That's 400 yards in two weeks uh, plus and five touchdowns. Yeah, 500. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he, – I don't always go with quarterbacks for here. You know, I just wanted to just go for the record, but – um, yeah, I was just impressed with this, the amount of work that this guy is doing, kind of literally you know, carrying the Saxons offense, especially after, um, you know, following in the footsteps of Nas Smith, who's now at Central Connecticut trying his, uh, you know, trying his best in the FCS world. But man, uh, impressive workload, and they needed every one of those yards because it was a pretty tight game down to the end. Indeed. Uh, defensively, Mass Maritime Bucks with 11 sacks. I mean, is that a misprint? I mean, is that even possible? No. We were we were it, talking about this I, uh, a couple weeks ago, weren't we? I, I mean, it's almost were. impossible. Yeah, I, I when I saw it initially when I was going through the box scores, I couldn't believe it. But when you go to the school's press release, it's they're they're eleven sacks, fourteen tackles for loss. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of a liberal, you know, check off there. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> interpretation by the stat sheet because that's that's kind of ridiculous uh, and you know this was one of those games that I sort of was keeping tabs on but I didn't watch that closely there was two guys on the Bucks defense who had three sacks alone so uh, I don't know just <laughs> crazy stat line there were certainly lots of other you know great defensive performances um, you know over the weekend but this one whether it's whether it's true or not is you got to just put it on there. It's like, you know, 11 sacks, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, an interception, return 59 yards. It's, it's kind of crazy. But let's talk about one thing. Brockport, 17-0 over St. John Fisher, a team that scored 35 against uh, Ithaca the prior week. Now, granted, a lot of it in the second yeah. half. But the fact they were able to keep them at zero tells me that Brockport – was it a blip at the beginning of the season? What What is going on here yeah. that suddenly they are beating yeah. quality teams? St. John Fisher is not a pushover. Coach Barry was telling me about Ithaca. They are at a different level right now, he feels. Now, it's not to say that Uni can't beat them, but he, they are just at a different level with Germanario there, etc. But the defense especially is just playing so well. So if the Ithaca defense allows 35 on St. John Fisher, but the Brockport defense allows zero, what does that tell you right now about Brockport's defense? You know, I think the uh, what we're realizing is that the Hobart game in week one was just sort of one of those anomalies where, um, you know, whether it was the turnovers uh, and just it was one of those things. I mean, Hobart had a little bit of that in the Union game where they just fell behind early and never really got in stride. The offense sort of just didn't show up. So um, some of that you have to credit. Uh, you have to credit the defense, but sometimes – Teams just have bad games. It seems like uh, Coach Mangoni is doing a great job writing the ship there in Brockport. He has them 
you know, four four game winning streak. They're they're scoring fifty five points here and there. They're shutting teams out defensively. Um, Brockport is it's funny. Football can be sort of a, a cruel and ironic game, Frank, because honestly, if you're if you compare the two seasons right now, you probably want to stick with Brockport compared to Hobart, even though Hobart beat them by twenty six in week one. Yeah, a good point there. Special teams. Now, I would have picked Nick DiCarano. We'll talk about him in the Joe Kolaski interview coming up uh, later in the yeah. week because he was 3-for-3 three three in field goals, 3-for-3 three three in extra points, 47-yard field goal included in that before halftime, make it a one-point game. Um, but, uh, West, uh, yeah, Western New England senior wide receiver Devin Perez uh, with that 73-yard missed field goal return for a touchdown, uh, you know, averaging 32 yards per punt, long of 38 with one inside the 20. I mean, this is truly a Division three type of player where he's doing pretty much everything yeah. in the field. He's wide receiver by name. Yeah, maybe, maybe I need to rename instead of like stat champs. It's just like stuff that it's like superl that just stood out. I mean, yeah, there was obviously, um, you know, probably better statistical performances uh, when it came to kicking or other stuff. But this one to me stood out as what a what a game changer um, you know Perez made for the Golden Bears, especially in a in a pretty tight game, uh, and they're and they're still trying to you know, stay at the top of the CCC. Guy you know, makes a heads up play with a long touchdown return. He's also the punter. <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool. Welcome to D three, everyone. Most surprising, yep. the Bucks off to their best start since two thousand. Most disappointing, the Hobart offense. Uh, let's save some discussion on this for a little bit later. Uh, but you know, credit the Union D. But this was about as flat or poor performance in a rivalry game as it gets, and the stats don't lie. We'll we'll, we'll touch that in a little bit. Uh, the random stat thing: uh, the bad uh, mistake by Mass Dartmouth killing their comeback chance. Um, eight out of thirty-three Week Five games are decided by overtime or play in the final minutes, and that's what we mean by. Hotter action. I almost hit it there. Hotter yes. action right there uh, with the colder weather because it's getting a little bit colder, but it's getting a little bit hotter. Not down here field. in Florida. <laughs> well, so that is uh, crunch time and our uh, plays of the week and stats of the week basically all wrapped up right there. We're going to move a little faster this week. We went over all the conference races and whatnot. There's a little bit less to talk about when it gets to conference to conference here uh, because we're starting to see the real players versus the separations. Yeah, it, it, there is a little bit of separation. So we're going to denote that a little bit as we go through. There are a couple conferences, though, that are obviously lacking that separation, and we're going to talk about those as we go through as well. And uh, so as I do this, I want to make sure I can see you still in your smiling face. Hey, JB, there you are. Um, so <laughs> we may see a little, uh, foreshadowing this week as well, as well. We'll, we're not going to comment as to whether it's going to happen or not, because we just have to finalize it. But, uh, there may be a little of this coming up this week. folks. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what that means yet, go back in the archives. You will pretty easy. New Mac WPI Merchant Marine 2-0. I just, for the life of me. We've dealt with Coach Toop teams for how many years? We've dealt with Coach Toop for how many years, period. You know, the woe is me, woe is the team, we're undersized, outmatched type of thing, going to every season, yada, yada, yada. But when you can add last season to this season right now, you can't be serious. The world's smallest violin is just was being played by uh, James Baker. We'll hopefully have shown that. But... Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Here you get yourself in the crosshairs again. But right now, that's where it is because Norwich Coast Guard, MIT, and Springfield all at one one. 
Now, Springfield has a chance here to weigh in on a lot still, and so does MIT yeah. for that matter. But Merchant Marine at 2-0 and WPI 2-0, WPI 5-0 overall, that's a story. I mean, that game is going to be huge when it gets played. And, you know, let's look at the schedule coming up here before we uh, talk about too much of this. Merchant Marine at Norwich is going to be a big game coming up this weekend. I would love to have gone to that game. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I can't. And it's going to be Parent Family Weekend at Norwich. So there's a trap game for Merchant Marine when you really get down to it. Uh, Main Maritime yeah. at MIT and Springfield at Coast Guard. Uh, but circle the Merchant Marine Norwich game. I mean, military, military, but really trappable. I think this is a winnable game for Norwich. They let one get through their uh, hands at Springfield, and usually a military team bounces back on moments like those, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. But I also feel like, um, you know, after a, kind of a tough start dealing with injuries and so on, that this is a, a good opportunity this weekend for the Pride to, to knock off a, a Coast Guard team that's been kind of living a little dangerously, Frank. I think two or three of their wins have come um, through overtime. I mean, their one loss was on a field goal. Uh, so kind of the kings of the, the close game this season. And, uh, you know, Springfield's you know, had a couple of those as well. So that's another one I'm keeping an eye on for week six. ECFC now moves to two, and I want to say that's 20, uh, two and 22 uh, right now and not a conference schedule. Uh, one of the worst conferences in the country, according to Adam Turr's uh, re-rank. It is the and, worst, I think, yep. the <laughs> bottom of the barrel. Oof. There's, there's not much we can add to this besides the idea that we're going to move into conference play. And this is where it gets interesting. Could we have a 5-5 five and five team or a 4-5 and five team win this conference ultimately? Uh, yes, it's possible mathematically, so we'll see yep. what happens. Anna Maria at Alfred State, Gallaudet at Castleton, and SUNY Maritime at Dean. That last game is an important one. While Dean can't win uh, the AQ, they could definitely have a voice in what happens here because the games against Dean will still be calculated in the standings for the conference. And SUNY Maritime okay. at Dean, to me, is a highlight game. Anna Maria at Alfred State. We, we tried to push for an Anna Maria win against Apprentice last week, and it didn't work. Do you see Alfred State just rolling over them, or do you see Anna Maria being able to maybe get off the right uh, right, right foot? Uh, off on the right foot. That's what Frank wants to say here. It just didn't come out right. But do you see that? I just give you extra time to think. If there was going to be a game where they could do it, this is the one. Um, I mean, Alfred <laughs> State has a win, um, so they're probably still the favorite in this deal. But if this is good, if there was going to be a game, this is probably it. We don't have many New England teams left in the ranks of the undefeated. Uh, so when you see them pop up on our different screens here, kind of take note of them. We've looked at WPI already. Obviously, nothing in the ECFC. Let's go to the CCC and see that Western New England is one of those teams at 4-0 uh, in Division Three. Now, I understand the Stetson game counts, but they'll show up here as 4-1. So yeah. let's 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 balance the fact that in Division Three they are undefeated still, but four and one overall. Endicott four and one, two and zero, oh, two and zero. Oh. We talked uh, a little bit in uh, crunch time about whether or not that game eventually is going to be the de facto championship game. But Huston and Curry are one and zero. Oh. They still have some say in this. It looks like, and while Curry struggled against uh, University of New England, Huston to me is that team that was underperforming all season and finally woke up this past weekend. Now the conference play has begun. So everybody's got to be aware of Husson as we get 
into the new season. Uh, we're going to start uh, or just have one game uh, in CCC action. It's Curry versus Huston. So the battle of 1-0 and teams in the conference, uh, kind of an elimination game of sorts again coming up here. Not yep. true elimination, but elimination from the ranks of the undefeated. Separation. Yeah. Yep. I'll give you that. That's a good word for it. MassCAC. We have two teams that are undefeated. WestCon and Mass Maritime. 4-0, 4-0. But in conference play, Framingham State at 2-2 two and two is 2-0 two and oh in the conference right now. And then yeah. you have a uh, threesome in the 2-1 and one column. That's Dartmouth-Startmouth, Plymouth State, and Bridgewater State, all still alive mathematically, very much so. But they will need some help or to do themselves some help along the way. Fitchburg State, Worcester State, and Westfield State are all at 0-3. Oh it's kind of funny how you have three teams at 2-0, oh, three teams at 2-1, and one, three teams at 0-3. Oh Let's look at the schedule, though, and that means uh, we got a one Friday night game, but these are becoming rarities now, Bridgewater State and Worcester State. Yeah. Not not too exciting. Uh, the one that I'm circling here, I think you are too, Mass Maritime at WestCon, another one of those night games at WestCon, and it's a battle yep. of undefeateds, folks. Somebody's going to walk away from this game undefeated. Somebody's going to walk away with a blemish in both the conference and the overall records for the first time this season. And it's huge. This this may be looked back at as a de facto championship game for the MassCAC. I mean, Mass Maritime's 11 sack, 14 tackle for loss performance. Is it a fluke? Is this team a fluke or is this team for real? I, and we're, we're going to find this out against WestCon, but this is incredible because this has never been on our radar before, Massachusetts Maritime. Never in our couple of years here of covering the entire East region. Here they are suddenly. What do you think? Yeah, that start in almost 20 years, Frank. So it's uh, it's been a long time coming. But yeah, the, the Buccaneers have got a, a combination of a tough defense. And I think uh, Matt Long is their quarterback. has been playing well. He can throw and run the ball. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're clicking. Um, I saw them against uh, SUNY Maritime earlier in the season, and they, they look like a solid team. Um, so yeah, give, they they certainly have a chance to, to maybe knock off what would probably be the favored um, Colonials uh, team. You know, being the being at home and and uh, being a, a more of a MASCAC uh, you know contender these last couple seasons, but no, no reason why the Buccaneers can't pull it off. Liberty League. We're going to talk first about the standings here. Union, Ithaca, and RPI one and zero in the conference, but uh, RPI with a blemish in the uh, non-conference game against WPI. So they're 4-1 and one. Ithaca Union are 4-0. Uh, the best case scenario overall is that RPI, for the conference-wide, is that RPI wins the uh, Pool A bid and either Union or Ithaca runs up with one loss. Uh, and that would put that team probably in a prime position, especially if it's Ithaca based on schedule strength. Uh, it's just, that's just a reality. Uh, I don't think many people are going to look at union schedule strength and the, what their numbers that get generated from that will look like. They're not going to look good. Anna Maria doesn't help. Westfield State doesn't help them at all. So yeah. that, that hurts them. Ithaca, on the other hand, has some decent results. They'll have Cortland later on as well. If they can beat Cortland, but they had a loss, let's say, against an RPI team later on. Ithaca really looks like a strong Pool C team, one of the five uh, possible teams. Uh, but Union, Hobart, 23-7. You took your 24-hour rule before you really uh, uh, gave some deliberation on this publicly. 
I'm going to ask you to do a yep. little bit more right now. You saw this game. You weren't happy with some of uh, what was playing out there uh, in real time. I, I, I got enough texts from you to know that you weren't thrilled with how it played out. Why did Hobart lose this game? Was it a coming out flat scenario, or wh what do you what do you attribute it to? I think at the end of the day, uh, and you know, I've talked to a, a couple of different alums, you know, fans, parents, whatever, what have you. I think um, what was what was really exposed in this game was uh, the the youth and inexperience of the Hobart offensive line, which was a which was a concern coming into this year. But for whatever reason, um, you know, whether it's because of uh, the yeah, Brockport is clearly a, a solid win. I think that was one of those where the turnovers certainly affected it. But um, maybe the Morrisville State and and Montclair and Rowan wins. I mean, Rowan and Montclair showed well last weekend in the NJAC, so maybe that, those were quality quality wins for Hobart, but maybe not. End of the day, I think um, what I've heard from people who were at the game themselves is that, honestly, Union just was way way more physical than either one of those two NJAC teams. Their defense knocked the you-know-what out of Hobart um, from the get-go. Uh, athletes like Irabor, Hobart doesn't have a, a, a player um, like him on their roster right now. Uh, I think it's just a, a situation where, you know, Behrman's been in place a little longer, has, has built up some stronger recruiting classes and some depth that Hobart just doesn't have. Um, and so I think it's it's one of those things where I think people like myself kind of underestimated the Dutchman going into it because they played a schedule that really doesn't give you much of a sense of how good uh, or bad they, they were. Clearly, they're a good team. Their defense is definitely uh, legitimate. And um, they had something to prove, and they went out and they proved it. We have interviews from this game. Let's start with the quarterback and the running back, Will Bellamy and Ike Irabor. Uh, they uh, talked to me about just how this game you know, felt, especially compared to last year's game where the uh, Union lost by a point, and uh, they were pretty uh, honest and candid about how this whole thing developed. After a huge 23-7 to victory by Union today against Hobart, I wanted to bring in uh, two of the helmsmen on offense. Now, I, let, let's get the name correct because everybody messes it up. Go ahead. What is your first name? I.K. I.K. Yeah. So, I.K.E. I.K. And uh, it's Will... Actually IK, it's actually I.K. Chuku. E.K. Chuku. Okay. E See, he can't even get it right exactly. yet. He better start getting it right. This is Will Balami. Is that right? Yeah, Will Balami. Balami. Well, nonetheless, Will Bellamy, uh, you had a good game, but the guy next to you had even a greater game today. Let's first talk about... Last season, this game versus this season, what were you thinking of as, uh, you know, in the first half you have a 14-0 lead and they're starting to come back on you guys a little bit in that first half until you uh, get another touchdown to go up 20-7 to at halftime. What was on your mind there? Uh, this year? Yep, this yeah. year. So this year coming into this game, uh, we made it a point as an offense to, to kind of flush the pass. We didn't want to... We didn't want to think about the game last year, but deep down we all knew we've, we've circled this game on our schedule for a long time now. So coming into this game, we knew that if we protected the football and our offensive line did their job as they did, we'd come out with a W. IK, I'm, I'm going to look down here. I have to. 188 yards rushing uh, total here, two touchdowns, and, you know, just possession. You created possession for your team all day long. How's this one feel? It feels, it feels real good, to be honest. I told my line I'll, I'll trust them. If, if I trust them, I'll find, I'll find a hole. 
Yeah, let's talk about this line. My uh, partner in crime, James Baker, is watching uh, the webcast today. He's like, boy, the O-line is playing phenomenally today. Expound on that. Tell, uh, give some shout-outs to those guys. Uh, like our center, E-Reds, he's literally told me to this game. He said, follow me and, I'll, and you'll get yards. I promise you that. You I did. That's 188 I did. of them, <laughs> nonetheless. So, guys, 4-0. You beat a ranked team. First, make a case. Is a union a ranked team, do you think, in your mind coming up for this next week? What, what would you tell voters right now? Um, I tell voters that this is our, what, fourth straight win against a ranked opponent. You know, I don't really care about the rankings too much. Uh, the goal of this season is to win a Liberty League championship, which hasn't been done in a long time here at Union, and then make a deep run in the playoffs. But my case is that this is not the first ranked uh, opponent that we've beaten. And I, I want you, even though his numbers were, you know, compared to yours, 98 yards, 10 for 17, so efficient at least, no touchdowns. Talk about this guy, because he's been kind of through it here at Union. I, I've been watching from afar, obviously. G give uh, folks kind of uh, your thoughts on this QB right here. Honestly, Bellamy is a really smart QB. Like, he knows when to pass the ball, where, where his open guys are. And if he needs to run, he'll run. That's new. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first time I had to do that today. Yeah, you rolled to the right pretty well after uh, kind of getting lost out there. Yeah. So, guys, uh, as player guests, you get to give shout-outs at this point. We'll start with IK. Shout-outs. Wait, what? Shout-outs. Give somebody anybody. a shout-out. Come on. Folks are watching you. Shout-out to my boy, Joe Ferreira. There you go. No, hey, simple. You got a little more than that. Uh, I yeah, I want to get my, my family back in Louisiana watching the game today, as they always do. My biggest fans and my biggest support system. Uh, shout out to all y'all for continually um, supporting me and all the endeavors that uh, I encounter. So shout out to y'all. Guys, congratulations on uh, the big 23-7 victory. 4-0 now. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks to Will and to IK for uh, that. Then we also spoke to uh, the son of somebody who's one of our biggest fans on Twitter, I swear. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Lama uh, out there, we appreciate all the stuff you do for us on Twitter and all the uh, kind words. But Colin had a great day. Uh, he had a major sack that stifled a Hobart uh, drive on first down. They were basically, I think, in Union territory to start that drive. And that sack just knocked them out of contention to start the drive. I mean, you, you, a lot of people don't pay attention to first down sacks, but that's a big sack. It, it, they just showed no ping left uh, after that in that drive and had a punt uh, almost immediately in that. Um, One quick stat I'll throw out there, Frank, is that prior to this game, I think the Hobart offensive line had only given up a sack in the first four games. Union's defense had four sacks, eight tackles for loss, the two interceptions. The first one definitely was on the Hobart quarterback. Bad throw, great play by... Um, by the Union linebacker to, to run that back for a touchdown. The second one was just, you know, the, the wide receiver's got to catch the ball. It was a third third down um, around the uh, Union 16-yard line, went through his hands, hit off his chest plate, easy interception. Uh, that was about a 10 or 14-point swing, depending on how you look at it, because you know, even if Hobart you know, ends up at the – 15, 14, even if they lost yards, say the 18-yard line, that's a makeable field goal for Kyle Hackett right before the half. Instead, with about 100 seconds left, Hobart goes into a prevent-style defense, Irobor, a couple draw plays. The, the lack of inside pressure by, uh, by Hobart's defense was kind of dumbfounding to me. Uh, it really just uh, – Jeff Bierman simply uh, you know, just had a better game plan. He knew that if uh, that was open, the draw would be there, and uh, – that's what, that's we'll talk about Behrman and his game plan in a second. Let's go to Colin Lama's uh, interview first. So I'll talk about the defense and their performance. 
Colin Lama Jr. for Union College with a big sack in this game, four tackles, and uh, you're kind of a fan favorite in this show. Uh, there's uh, somebody uh, close to you that's a big uh, social media fan oh. of ours. Oh, is it my mom? Uh, it is your mom. Yeah, she's she's all over all over Twitter. We're going to give her a shout-out in a little bit, I yeah, think. Yeah. But first, let's talk about this game. You have memories of uh, Hobart last year with that one-point win. Mm -hmm. What were you saying on the sideline to your guys as uh, things were touch-and-go at certain points, but Union mainly in control? Uh, basically... We uh, we knew we were in control, but we were just saying not this year. It's a new team, and uh, the way we practiced this week, we knew we were going to come out on top, and we were ready. You indeed were ready. Uh, the quarterback situation, uh, they switched up there at the start of the second quarter, and Krusen comes in for Hoffman. Uh, did that surprise you, and did you notice any differences at that point? No, nah, I wouldn't say we noticed really any difference. I'd say our defense locked down for most, for most, most of the part of the game, and uh, we did our job when we let up seven points. Seven too much, though. So, I, I asked this uh, question of Will. I'll ask it of you, uh, and you can refuse to answer if you want, of course. Uh, 4-0, you beat a ranked team. Would you like to make a case for this team being ranked uh, Union College right now? Well, our main goal is obviously winning the Liberty League, Liberty League but, uh, yeah, I'd say so. So you heard here first. I, I, I will be putting you guys on my ballot most likely tomorrow. I will admit to that. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, from there. We're doing this obviously on Saturday, and we'll go from there. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to give you a chance here. First, tell me about Rochester next week. When are you going to start thinking about that game after a big game like this? We start tomorrow. We start tomorrow preparing for Rochester. League play, it's a big game. You know, it's one of those teams that has always had Union's number no matter what the circumstances are going into the game. So you can never look past them. We'll exactly. see what happens next week. But time for those shout-outs. Go right ahead. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you got to shout out my mom, Carrie Lama, number one supporter. She would drive anywhere to watch me play. Love you, mom. Love you, mom. Anybody else? Oh, uh, <laughs> my grand my grandpa's on Twitter too. Papa, shout out to Papa. I know you're watching this. I, I have a feeling your mom's gonna make sure everybody sees this. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let, let's not kid ourselves yeah. right now. Anyway, 23-7, uh, uh, big victory today for Union. Go enjoy it. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank Appreciate you. it. Good time with Colin Lama there, and uh, appreciate his time. Uh, you keep talking about Jeff Behrman and his game plan. We talk about it in this interview, the fact that he basically may spend a little bit longer on this uh, game plan than he normally would, and uh, gets a little candid about that fact in this interview coming up. 23-7 victory, Coach Behrman. Union beating Hobart after last year has to feel really good in that one-point close game last year that you lost. Uh, were there any memories of that game coming to your mind in that first half where you, you looked like you were in control, but little by little they were trying to claw their way back in that first half? What were you thinking? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, first off, I think, I mean, Kevin does a great job with Hobart and uh, that program and, and their players. Uh, I got a lot of respect for him, his coaching staff, and his players. Uh, they, they do things the right way. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think anytime you, you can beat a, another good program, it's a, it's a good feeling for you. Uh, but, you know, I try not to think of the past as much. You try to learn from the past as much as you can. But I, I will say that uh, there was a moment there where I, where I did think, wait, this is what it was last year. So we got to just make sure we stay focused. So absolutely, it definitely creeps in. Ike, with the assistance of Will to a certain degree, but especially the offensive line, uh, let's just talk about that grouping, that, that seven some of uh, players, which is more than seven because obviously you switch out uh, from time to time. But those guys today really played their butts off, it seemed like. Ike with 188 yards and Will with no interceptions and ran the ball himself a little bit. Mm -hmm. Give me the accolades that you have for them. I, I, you're probably one of their worst critics during the week uh, during film study, but today you got to feel pretty good about what they did. I, I feel great, you know, and it, you, you said it with the with the O line, the tight ends. I mean, they they do the dirty work. They definitely, uh, 
you know, get us, they're the engine. They get us going, they get us rolling, and IK and, and Will get a lot of the credit, and Andre gets a lot of the credit as well. But, uh, you know, from Will's perspective, he, he ran the game plan the way exactly the way we, we talked about it and uh, what we expected out of him. He found the open receivers, that, uh, that and, and he was accurate. So I was uh, very excited and, and happy for the way he played. Um, and then IK, um, you know, he's a, he's a special talent. And, uh, you know, I think we, we were rotating the backs a little bit at the beginning, but there was a, just a gut feeling that I felt like, you know what, IK is, is, is hot a little bit right now, so let's just keep feeding him. Good job. Uh, yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. So, um, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, just really, you know, the, the game plan was to, to run the ball and to play action here and there. And uh, I think we only dropped back one time. Um, and, uh, you know, the guys up front allowed us to stick to that game plan and do that. JB, uh, my uh, partner, mm -hmm. Carmine, in the huddle, uh, was watching the game and said, really, your coaching game plan today was second to none. Uh, to a certain degree, you outcoached uh, the folks on the other sideline, he felt, especially in the first half. How much did you work on this game plan? How much did you taste the need for a win here based on not just last year, but the Liberty League starting up? You don't want to go you know, 0-1 here to start, obviously, just starting off the wrong foot. So how much did you work on this one? Okay. A lot. Yep. A lot. You know, it, it was an important game, and I wanted to make sure our guys were prepared for it. Um, we did practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the bye week, and, thir and uh, Wednesday and Thursday were, were Hobart days. Uh, so we gained a couple extra days there, and that's the advantage of scheduling, I guess. And, and when you have a bye week, uh, it just kind of happened that way. Um, but uh, I was still game planning this morning in terms of just getting my thoughts and play calling and things like that. I'm, just, I'm looking at film, and... Uh, it just never stops for me, personally. Um, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. Uh, your family probably <laughs> wonders sometimes, yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm sure they're thrilled for you. Rochester next week, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to make it go too deep into this, yeah. but they're always a team that seems to be in play, no matter what the conditions are for them on the uh, win-loss records. Uh, what are your brief thoughts on Rochester? You know, again, uh, a, a lot of respect for Chad and his staff and, and his players, and, and, you know, they're competitive. They absolutely are competitive, you know, by no means. Uh, can we just think that we're just going to go there and beat them? They're going to claw. They're going to fight. Um, they're going to give us their, their best shot. Um, and if we don't play well, they will beat us. Bottom line. Uh, it does not matter who you play. Uh, I know it's a cliche, but any, any given Saturday, somebody can beat somebody. And um, I believe in that wholeheartedly. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a matter of just going through our week, preparing correctly, sharpening our axe so that we can then go and, uh, and play the game on, on Saturday. 23-7. Yeah. Big final here, and congratulations to you. Go enjoy Appreciate it. it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Pat Coleman uh, from D3Football.com for using uh, a couple of these interviews uh, on the ATN podcast. Give people a little taste of what we did. Obviously, he cut them, sliced them up for his uh, podcast. We pulled the, or played them in full length here, and thanks to everybody. Um, final thoughts here. Uh, you keep talking about the game plan. Go ahead. Uh, the Bearman game plan. Obviously, he wanted this game really, really badly after last year. There, there's no doubt about it. And if you had to put into, let's say, a 15-second condensed explanation, what would you say his game plan ended up being now that you've watched that game? He knew that Hobart would be afraid for uh, Ross to beat them deep, so they allowed some of the middle crossing routes, which uh, Beal uh, has effectively been, been running for Union all season. Um, with a rather thin and inexperienced defensive line. They pulled him in on the draw. The linebacking uh, blitzes were not coming. Left it wide open. Irabor, great athlete, made some outstanding runs. There was a lot of missed tackles on the Hobart defense. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the better team won. 
RPI Hobart's the highlight game in the Liberty League this week, uh, noontime. Uh, can Hobart bounce back? Or will RPI uh, go to 5-1 and one, but keep undefeated in the Liberty League? That's the important question right now for them in Geneva. That's coming up. Empire 8 standings are uh, starting to form here a little bit as Cortland, Brockport, and Alfred are 1-0 in the conference. Hartwick 0-0. They have not played uh, anybody in conference yet. St. John Fisher, Utica, Morrisville State at 0-1. Cortland's the only undefeated team in the batch. Brockport and Alfred, though, will have a lot of say in this conference. It looks like those are going to be the three teams we thought coming into the season would be the ones to watch, and they are indeed proving so far that that's going to be the case. And Griffin, with his running game for Alfred, is really proving to be important. It's funny that there are names on offense from all three of these teams we can name now. Griffin on uh, Alfred, yeah. Sagala from Cortland, and Freddie June on Brockport. That Those offensive weapons, they're all going to be key to the games when they start intermixing those games. But we're not quite there yet as it's Hartwick at Brockport. It's St. John Fisher at Utica, which is kind of one of those true elimination games because neither one of them can afford to lose another conference game to have any say in this. And Cortland and Morrisville State. Uh, St. John Fisher at Utica, to me, is a highlight game out of those three. Max standings. Uh, I want to run here for a sec, but go ahead. Uh, you had something you want to add? Well, the only thing I would chime in on is I think we knew about Sagala last year. I mean, he was yes. he was a very strong quarterback. He probably uh, could have taken out um, Brockport in that, that game near the end of the season. I think, you know, their, their defense bailed them out. Um, uh, I he was my recommendation for the Empire Eight Offensive Player of the Year you know, prediction and D3Football.com's uh, kickoff publication. Just you know, kind of the complete package as far as a, a very athletic uh, quarterback, not unlike you know Joe Germanario at Ithaca. So I think um, so. Gall is going to have a lot to say, and and for now, I, I feel like the Red Dragons are are the are the favorites prohibitively um but we'll see especially as brockport really seems to have turned the corner and is playing very solid on both sides of the ball now to the mac we have three teams undefeated in conference play del val with the game in hand there though with three no wilkes at two no misericordia two no the only team that's truly undefeated though is wilkes at four no um uh, so actually that is that four and over five no we're still in that issue four on no. d3football.com where they've got they're adding a game for something there and i can't figure out why but it is four no correct well, they had a, they um, had a bye week so i know <laughs> i know, hey, I know for they, a they won by four game <laughs> yeah there you yeah, go so they're five and oh yeah. with the bye yeah congratulations to coach Strock. i mean great uh great performance i mean this is a yes. team that was oh and ten two seasons ago they brought them on board had a 500 year, I think, his first season, and now here they are off to almost a 5 0 start. And, and honestly, Frank, they're going to be a prohibitive favorite to win this weekend, I think, against uh, against an Albright team, like you said, yeah. that's been kind of struggling a little bit and not catching many breaks. So great start for but, Coach Strock. There are two games, though, that are key here this week Kings at DelVal. Now, Kings obviously loses the game uh, in spectacular fashion against Misericordia at the end of the game, Brady Williams, the company. But they, they have the ability to keep up with DelVal in this game, I think. Now, the question is can they win it? It's, it's unlikely, but I, I think it's going to be a better game than most people would have thought coming into the yeah. season for sure. Misericordia at Widener. Now, here's a game. Widener off on the wrong foot here uh, in conference play. Misericordia yeah. is exceeding expectations again. 
This is a game to me that Widener should have won. If let's say after week one, week two, we played this game, I would have said without a doubt, Widener's game. Right now, there's a lot of doubt about that, but I, Widener can beat this team and sort of get rid of the. It's it's kind of funny, and people are gonna hate me for doing this, but Misericord is becoming like that gnat that you keep swatting at, and you can't get <laughs> away from you because it's a team that. We, we talked about it with Coach Snar last week. We've talked about it before many times. They just stick around in games and stick around in games and win the game and find a way, be it four overtimes or 44 seconds left or whatever the heck it is. They win these yep. games. And so Widener, if they're going to win this game, they need to take a three-possession lead into the fourth quarter and sit on the ball and get that clock to go to zeros. That's the way you got to beat Misericordia. Sorry, folks. They know how to find a way to win. Period. Yeah, they do. So Wilkes at Albright, as you said, uh, is an in interesting game for what it could represent if Wilkes wins it, a 5-0 and start. Albright desperate for when to get off their losing streak because they're at 14 yeah. games, I think, right now in their losing streak, uh, give or take, maybe even a couple more. I haven't looked back at that in a while. Yeah. The end, Jack. Wesley, Salisbury. I mean, Kane and uh, TC and J are 1-0 also, but the teams that are going to really – go at it here, really seem to be Wesley and Salisbury. I can't see anybody else right now stepping up. Rowan, Rowan's going to win some games. There's no doubt. They, they are so Eventually, much better yeah. than an 0-4 team. The ball just doesn't yep. bounce in their direction. That's the kind of season they've had. They, they could talk to last year's Wesley team, and they could compare notes with how the seasons have developed at this point. I mean, it uh, wasn't yeah. going to start 0-4, but you get where I'm going with that. It was just close games that you yeah. kept losing. Christopher Newport has, and and they were a team that I thought was going to be in the mix. And, boy, they've they've fallen off in a, in ways that I just I, – I don't know what's going on um, down there. But, yeah, ultimately, you know, we were talking about Pool C possibilities. And, you know, at this point, the, the loser of that uh, Wesley Salisbury game is probably in the conversation because chances are they can – potentially run the table, finish, I guess, but Salisbury can only end up, what, five, eight and one since they, do they have a nine, do they have an eight game schedule or seven and one? You know, it, it harkens back to like Hobart in, in 2011 when they had an eight game schedule and they made the playoffs as an at large with a seven and one record. Not, they right, I think nine. actually they, they have nine. Few, but, they okay, have they nine. have nine. So eight and one. Yep. So, um, you know, this is definitely another race to keep an eye on because the, the, the pickings for pool seabeds is going to be very slim for the East region. Chances are there's probably only one team that gets it. So it's either going to be the NJAC runner-up, maybe the Liberty League runner-up, and or the Empire 8 runner-up, and that's it. It'll be one well, spot between those three teams. Let, let's face it. Wesley Salisbury is this weekend. Uh, we, we need to underscore yeah. this fact. It's 1 o'clock on Saturday. Yeah. Huge game. No doubt about it. I mean, my clear state of TC and will be an interesting game to watch, no doubt. Uh, you know, William Patterson, Christopher Newport, just see if Patterson can get their mojo back here after uh, a close loss this week. Kane at Rowan, there's a game that Rowan can win and should win. Now let's see if they do it after the, their start. But Wesley Salisbury, there it is. JB, let's quickly, uh, I want to do this, uh, go to uh, teams that are undefeated. Let's just put a list up right now. That shows who is undefeated in the Pool A eligible and Pool C eligible uh, conferences. And before we do that, let, let's go to NESCAC. Let's actually clean this out before we do that. Wesleyan and Middlebury, 4-0. Uh, 
Uh, Amherst Williams at three and one. Those are your teams right now really to watch in the NESCAC. We'll do a little bit more on this after next week as uh, you know, th there's nothing sticking out in terms of games coming up. I mean, an upset could occur, but Colby at Millbury, um, Tufts at Wesleyan, there, there's an interesting game. That might be the game of the week at a 6 p.m. game, no less, uh, on Saturday, a very rare Saturday night game in the NESCAC. Okay, teams that are undefeated in Division Three play. We will include Western New England in this discussion purposely by saying that. Uh, in the NUMAC, WPI. In the ECAC, none. In the CCC, Western New England, with the asterisk because of the uh, Stetson game. In the MASCAC, Western Connecticut and Massachusetts Maritime at 4-0 each. In the Liberty League, Union in Ithaca. In the Empire 8, just Cortland. In the MAC, just Wilkes in the NJAC, Wesley and Salisbury, one of them will lose this weekend. We're running out of undefeated teams here. And again, the idea is you're going to be no more than a one-loss team in Division Three if you're going to be eligible in the East region to be a Pool C team with only five teams going. There's too many strong teams out West to think that a two-loss team is going to be able to find a way in right now. And so... Those are the teams that are eligible, in my mind, to still be in Pool C, but a lot of things are going to happen here. And like we said, Wesley and Salisbury, they, you know, one of those teams will probably win the conference, and the other team, uh, you know, it would have to win out essentially at that point to be a Pool C eligible team. Tough thing to ask for once you lose a game. We'll see. Final thoughts, uh, whether it's on Pool C uh, situations or anything else, uh, any games coming up this weekend, uh, kind of give us a flavor for what you're looking at right now. Well, I think like we tend to do around this time of the season, um, and maybe it'll be for next week's show, but I always like to kind of look at sort of what I call, you know, midterm, you know, grades. I mean, all these you know, D3 student athletes or students first so let's you know kind of think about that we can you know see certain teams wpi a plus wilkes a plus you know others eh, maybe they're doing more b work maybe more c work because of uh you know expectations not being met but we'll maybe we'll get into that but honestly you know as, as you can see from these slides the the separation is is happening we're halfway through the season basically um, in the early innings of the uh, conference play and in the next you know, coming weeks, like October is going to be a big month where you'll really kind of see at the end of the day who are the, the final you know, one or two teams that are potentially standing. Typically, the way Division Three has worked is that Week 10 has traditionally been a big rivalry weekend for a lot of teams. The last couple of years, we've done our D3 Blitzer show, um, which is kind of our you know, NFL red zone type of thing. And hopefully this season we'll you know get to do it again with a lot of conference championships on the line. But the way these schedules are falling and all these strange things happening in these conferences, Frank, things might be already figured out by week 10, um, the way things are shaping up. So that's what I'm kind of wondering right now. I'm like, you know, what's... Are we going to even get to week 10 and have stuff up in the air or is October just going to clear, you know, clear it out and we'll just, we'll kind of know where we're at by then. We'll see. Good question. Uh, we will see indeed. Uh, but we start really with this Wesley Salisbury game. It's really, to me, one of the first indications of a real separation of even the front runners that will occur 
uh, in a conference. That's a, that's a big game this early in the season. It gets moved from week 10 to now, basically, in week 6, uh, which I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I honestly wish it had stayed where it was. Uh, I think it's better to clo- nearly close out the season with that game, but because Frostburg came out and Southern Virginia came out, they had to reshuffle everything and did it in that way. Then uh, that RPI Hobart game, also a big game. So those are kind of the biggest games I'm seeing on the schedule right now. And Mass Maritime, Western Connecticut as well. I'm not as high on the game because I just I, I just don't believe in Mass Maritime yet, and I don't know why, even with those numbers that you put on the screen earlier, but it, it just it feels so weird that a team we don't know anything really about coming to the season can be in this position at this point in time. That's even more so than Wilkes. We knew about Wilkes coming to the season. But Mass Maritime, yeah. where did they come from? And if they win again, maybe we'll get to ask them that question, actually, personally, here on In the Huddle. Until our interview shows, we have player interviews all week. No coach interviews this week. Just player player interviews coming up. And then predictions on Thursday, uh, on Friday. We'll record them on Thursday this week uh, because of uh, time commitments. Before we go. We do better this week, man. Oof. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that later. Before we go, I um, want to show some pictures here. Uh, oh, beautiful baby. Uh, why don't you tell folks what's going on here as uh, we go through these? So I don't know what, what, what was in the water, but yeah, um, both my daughter and son were born four days apart. But uh, my daughter, Fiora, is, is my oldest. Uh, she's turning 15 uh, today, Tuesday. Uh, go right, that's me with her. My very first Father's Day in Los Angeles back in, oh boy, 2005, I guess. Yeah, that's crazy. A long, long time ago. But yeah, so um, she, uh, yeah, there, there. She, she kind of has taken after her uncle Frank. We're doing a, uh, a JoJo pose. If you're into, if you're into anime, you, you might get it. Uh, maybe not. Uh, but she is sort of taken after Frank there, rocking. The sparkle jacket for homecoming, pretty awesome, and uh, we wouldn't have known about it if, if not for you giving us the heads up about Macy's and the uh, the ink or INC brand. So she looked awesome and had a great time at homecoming, and uh, I love her and I'm wishing her a very happy. I can't believe fifteenth birthday. Fiora, happy birthday, and uh, folks. Uh, your wife's birthday is coming up as well, I believe, uh, later in the Friday. week. So we may have to do some more pictures on our uh, predictions show. We'll see what happens here. But nonetheless, uh, we are a big family here on In the Huddle, as you know. And so uh, stay with our family and make sure other folks join it because we do appreciate it. Loved all the support I got from the Hobart Union uh, fans, especially the Hobart fans. Uh, Hobart fans are actually more, hey, Frank, how are you? Although on Twitter, a lot of uh, Union fans are like, we didn't know you were even there because I stayed in the field for most of the game. I want to thank President yeah. Harris for uh, giving me a shout uh, as we got to talk to him briefly, the new president at Union College, and also for liking some of our videos um, on Twitter uh, subsequent to the uh, end of the game when uh, everything was said right. and done. You saw David Harris liking things on uh, Twitter of ours, so appreciate that as well. Folks, We, like I said, we will see you later in the week. Thanks for joining us.